Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. And today's episode, a little bit different, is about business. Now, as everybody knows, or if you've listened to the show before, maybe you haven't, so you don't know, but I usually talk about an aspect of law firm business, you know, marketing or sales, sometimes about hiring or firing, sometimes about physical plant and, and leases. We've done shows on leases and sometimes about your, your financials. Um, and, and quite often we do a show about mindset, but this time we're doing a show with uh, Sarah Schaff, and she's the uh, CEO of Headnote, about business in general. And particularly, um, in fact, I'll just I'll just say the title, um, From the Valley to the Bar, What Law Firms Can Learn from Silicon Valley. So we're, we're taking lessons from Silicon Valley um, and how we can apply them to the business of law. Now, as I said, Sarah uh, is the CEO of Headnote. Now, Neil Squalanti of TechnoLawyer, um, I was trying to figure out how to describe Headnote, but I read a quote from Neil Squalanti, so I'll use his because he described it as well as I can. And we'll, let, we'll ask Sarah if, if we got it anywhere close to right. Um, is a trust-compliant e-check and credit card payments platform for law firms seeking to get paid faster with less follow-up. We'll see if Sarah likes that. Um, <laughs> and today, like I said, we're going to talk about small law firm business, which is, of course, what we always talk about. But since it's the beginning of the year, I figured we'd just zoom out a little bit and look at business a little bit more holistically and what law firm owners, as I said, can learn um, from other businesses. And uh, since this is the top of the show, I'll remind you that I am your host, Christopher Anderson, and I am an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers achieve success with their law firm businesses and success as they define it. In the Unbillable Hour, every month we explore an area important to help you grow your revenues, get back more of your time, and or get more professional satisfaction from your business. The Unbillable Hour is dedicated to helping lawyers achieve freedom through their businesses, and our guests help you learn more about how to make your law firm business work for you instead of the other way around. Now, before we get started, I do absolutely want to say a happy new year and thank you to our sponsors, Answer One, Solo Practice University, Scorpion, and Law Clerk. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800 800- Answer One, or online at www.answerone.com, and that's www, little dot, the word answer, then the number one, then dot com. Solo Practice University is a great resource for solos, no matter how long you've been practicing. Make sure you check out solopracticeuniversity.com and learn how to run your practice better. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. And Law Clerk, where attorneys hire freelance lawyers. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at www.lawclerk.legal. 
And again, today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is from the valley to the bar. What law firms can learn from Silicon Valley. And Sarah Schaff, the CEO of Headnote, is my guest. And Sarah, welcome to the Unbillable Hour. Thank you, Christopher. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. And uh, my, I am notoriously uh, deficient um, on the unbillable hour in my introductions. I just do a terrible job, kind of on purpose, <laughs> um, because I'd like to ask you to uh, kind of fill that out. Uh, tell us a little bit more. First of all, did Neil Squalanti, it's not my fault, did Neil Squalanti get the description of Headnote right? Neil definitely got uh, the description of Headnote partially right. We are, you know, above all else, here to make your firm's system of getting paid easier, compliant, and faster. Um, however, one of the things Neil didn't mention in that description is that, you know, we are really passionate about giving firms transparency, data, and essentially efficiency in their post-invoicing process, not just getting paid, but also giving more insight and analytics into accounts receivable, helping uh, with some automation on, on practices that really should be uh, more efficient within firm operations. So it's a little bit more, but certainly payments are our first love. Cool. That just brings up, you know, maybe we'll have you back sometime because I'd love to do a show about what people don't understand about the dangers and caustic, corrosive nature of accounts receivable in business. I'd love to do an entire oh, show on that. Absolutely. That is definitely a passion of mine. <laughs> Probably not a lot of people can say that, but um, that's something that that I really love kind of digging into. So anytime. All right. So let's just jump right into the topic here. So we're, we're talking about um, what we can learn from Silicon Valley. And I think I think that's a brilliant topic. Um, and I'm glad glad you're coming with that because, you know, I think lawyers and law firms, for the most part, are sitting there going like, what the heck are you guys talking about? We're law. <laughs> and that's like high tech business happening in this place that we don't really understand. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's rah, rah and go, go. And there's really nothing, you know, between the two uh, that we can learn. So first of all, like, like, as we're going to talk about it, if you don't mind, just like, what are Silicon Valley tech companies like? What are the best practices that we can bring in? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think I have a similar kind of initially my reaction was similar to, to kind of what you're saying. Like I am an attorney. I grew up in a family of attorneys. I live and work in Silicon Valley. And the last place that I worked as an attorney before I um, became an entrepreneur and started Headnote was at Google and an in-house role. And so mm -hmm. when I kind of got into working in-house at Google, I remember kind of having these moments of seeing the intersection of law and some of the processes that we were used to and some of the things that we do kind of differently from other industries and how that was intersecting with some of the best practices that were being utilized at tech companies and how that intersection could actually work and really upgrade some of the things that we're doing in legal. And so when it all comes down to it, the things that, you know, tech companies don't do everything right. And there are certain <laughs> things they do that lawyers should not be doing, right? right we have a, a much different relationship with things like privacy and and that is important to have those distinctions. That said, there certainly are things that tech companies do that we should be kind of applying to our industry. Data is is the the biggest area. You yeah. know, respect for data, um, efficiency and and kind of quick wins. So, you know, love to kind of get into those as we continue talking because there's some really good concrete examples of things we can do at our firms to to just be better. Yeah, and I think that actually brings a lot of credibility to what we're going to talk about, that you did say that there, there's definitely some things um, 
that law firms should not learn from Silicon Valley. Right. Data breaches, let's not learn about, learn, let's learn from that. Let's just not learn how to do that. And like you said, privacy, I think there's certainly probably a, let's just say non bar rules compliant attitude to privacy that exists in some Silicon Valley companies that uh, shouldn't be replicated by law firms. Um, but yeah, so great data. I think, you know, I, I love that you brought data up because I think there's, I don't know if any, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, but it, it's, oh, uh, yeah. it's great. You know, when the, the guys are sitting around talking about, uh, you know, oh, we should get him. He's got, he's got good body position or he's got, you know, <laughs> he's got that look. Um, and you know, everything's by gut. And I think a lot of law firms and, and law, law, law firm owners still operate their business that way, you know, by gut and by anecdotal evidence and not really data dependent. Yes. Um, so what kind of data would you like to start talking about? Because let's, let's yeah. make this real. Like, What are some data things that, that lawyers could learn from that uh, Silicon Valley uses that we don't do a great job with? Absolutely. So my kind of two, there's a few main areas, but I'll tell you kind of to frame it, kind of what some of my experiences were like relating to what you are saying. This like instinctual kind of handshake way of doing business, right? Yep. Which is very prevalent in legal. And to be honest, something that we're seeing, you know, kind of the tide is turning, right? Towards having a more kind of business model within law firms. And that's something I definitely want to get into is like what parts of the handshake business should stay and what should go? Yep, like yep. what part of instinct should stay and should go? I remember when I was practicing and again, like I grew up working at my family's law firms. My family had two law firms that they owned we worked there as family businesses. Um, and like, this is how you would kind of look at, you know, marketing budgets in that exact phrase didn't really exist. And so it was like, we need to get clients. Okay, let's get a committee together and let's send some lawyers to a conference and let's make sure that we have, you know, entertainment expenses. We need to be taking clients out to do this. The way that we then tracked that and followed up on it and then measured that against not just what we build that client, but what we actually collected and what we got paid and kind of the efficiency of the payment. Like you need to look at these factors and instead of just saying like, yeah, let's send a couple of people to this conference. This budget seems arbitrary and reasonable. And then, you know, when it comes time to do our accounts receivable and collection work, we'll get together in a conference room with our spreadsheets and we'll touch base on it. You know, that is it that's not data that that is that instinctual feeling and that is the part of our practice where we could actually get better and look at what tech companies do because in tech companies including the, the tech company that i run like data is everything like if you do not track and measure your data and really understand you know roi return on investment then you know missing the data is essentially like wasting the money and so when it comes to how we're finding clients how we're keeping clients and retaining clients, and then how we're getting paid by our clients. Those are three areas that we could vastly improve uh, with data. Absolutely. So I remember seeing you, you uh, spoke, uh, I, I remember seeing you because I was emceeing, but <laughs> I saw you speak <laughs> at the Law Firm 500 Awards this year, back in October in uh, Las Vegas. And there were two data points that you mentioned particularly. Um, CAC, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, I'll let you describe what they are, but CAC and LTV. Let's let's talk about those two because those like I think those go to the heart of um, what you were talking about about tracking that data, you know, to inform your marketing, to inform uh, the business. So let's let's go over those each at a time. So first of all, CAC, what's that? 
Absolutely. So in a, I loved speaking at the Law Firm 500. It was such a great time. And and I did. I mentioned in my speech, you know, that we as a company at Headnote and I know at Google and all tech companies and all and not just tech companies, companies outside of legal are tracking like two huge metrics all the time. And one is CAC, C-A-C, and one is LTB. And so CAC stands for Customer Acquisition Cost. How much did it cost to get a particular customer, right? Super important. And LTV stands for lifetime value. So that is essentially what kind of value, what is the total amount of of money, whether it's gross or net revenue, that I'm going to be getting out of a particular customer. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do at a tech company or any other kind of company and really at a law firm is think about those marketing dollars like that's a CAC. That is your customer acquisition cost. And you need to be saying to yourself, okay, our goal as a firm is that our CAC is, it depends, it completely depends on the value of that customer, right? Is this a a case or a customer that's going to have a long-standing relationship that I'm going to get more cases from? Is this a one-off? Is it something that requires a lot of internal work? We've never done a case like this. It's like, you know, litigation, there's going to be a lot. Or is this like, you know, a filing that we've done, you know, we do 50 times a week that we can maybe do a flat fee. So every firm is going to have a different CAC, but what you need to look at is the economics of your business and say, is it reasonable that I'm going to pay $500 for every new customer I get or 5,000? And then pick what that number should be. And then you know how to kind of start positioning your marketing budget and spend. Right. And so just just to kind of bring that down, like, so what we're talking about is if I I intend my marketing plan is to get 100 clients mm-hmm. and I spend $10,000 on that marketing plan to get those 100 clients, then my CAC would be 100 bucks a client. Uh, 100 or 10,000 divided by 100 equals 100. Is that how you do it? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then you're going to be looking at the lifetime value of that customer, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have something that you would write expect out of it. You need to be setting a goal for both your CAC and your LTV. So if you're saying, I want a $100 CAC, I'm going to get 100 clients, I'm going to spend $10,000. Uh, that's a hundred dollar pack. I would like to get, you know, a thousand dollars out of each of those clients. That's that's what the firm earns. In that's revenue, your, as you're talking in about revenue. In gross revenues, yeah. Exactly. And say, so that's my LTV, right? If if I know that I'm gonna only work with that customer on one case, or maybe I know like I actually want to be getting ten thousand dollars out of this customer yeah. because it's an ongoing relationship. But you take that CAC, right? The money you spent on marketing divided by the number of customers you got. That is your CAC. And you look at it compared to your LTV. And what we say, you know, in, in the Valley and at companies that, that use these practices is what's called an LTV to CAC ratio. So there is this formula that looks at LTV compared to CAC, right? Yeah. What is an ideal formula? And in tech companies and, and every, again, company is different. But, you know, I'm going to interrupt you there. Yeah. Please. Because what we're going to do here, I love it. We got I, I never get to do teasers, but we got a teaser. We got a cliffhanger. The LTV CAC ratio coming up right after we hear from our sponsors. Ready to create and build your own solo or small farm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360 degree experience of starting a business? There's only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals Solo Practice University the only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today. 
Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a first year to perform legal research or a seasoned attorney to assist with a complicated appellate brief, Law Clerk has hundreds of freelance lawyers with every level of experience and expertise. There are no sign-up or monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Increase your profits, not your overhead. Learn more at www.lawclerk.legal. And welcome back to the Unbillable Hour. We're talking with Sarah Schaff, the CEO of Headnote. We're talking about what law firms can learn from tech businesses in Silicon Valley. And when we went to break, um, we had just gotten finished defining customer acquisition costs, which is on average how much it costs to acquire a customer, usually in a given practice area or perhaps for your whole business. And we also learned about lifetime value, the amount, the total amount you can expect to get in, in revenues from servicing the needs of that client. And uh, Sarah was just about to reveal um, the ideal lifetime value to client acquisition cost or LTV to CAC ratio. And I, I interrupted her a little bit rudely, um, but uh, <laughs> we, we got to have our first unbillable hour cliffhanger. And so here we are. What is that ratio and, and what does that mean? I'm so happy to be the first on Bill Bauer cliffhanger. <laughs> That's so exciting. So the ideal LTV to CAC ratio, or at least like the minimum that you're really striving for, it needs to be three to one. So what that means is that for whatever I spent on that customer, that CAC, I need to be getting three times that out of that customer so that it makes financial sense as a business. And again, just to be clear, that's three times in revenues, Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that is essentially, if I'm going to put out of pocket $100 for this customer, I need to make sure that I am bringing in $300 back into my pocket to make this make sense as a business, for this to be a good customer for me. Yeah. And if you think about it, like that's got to be the baseline. Because let's say, you know, your average well-run law firm, you know, everybody knows the rule of threes, which of course we all know are you know, is not universally applicable, but if we use it, you know, where you, for every dollar you get in, one third to the associate, mm -hmm. one third to the overhead, and one third to profit. If you go three to one, that means you're only getting one to profit. So you're really breaking even. Right, right. Yeah. And that's why, like, you know, as companies, at which law firms, right, your law firm is a business, it is your company, like, LTV of to CAC of three to one, like that really is the lowest that you should be going. Right? Yeah. You set your goal. Are we going for five to one? Are we going to 10 to one? I mean, that really comes down to, to your goals as a firm and how aggressively you want to go after them. But why this is so important and what I think we're really missing as an industry is that if we aren't looking at our LTV to CAC ratio and how you know, valuable is this customer to my firm from a business perspective, then we don't know how to correctly segment those customers mm -hmm. and give different amount of firm resources to them such that it makes sense. And so, you know, you need to be understanding for, this is something that I talk about again with, with what we do at Headnote. Um, and we'll get into how, you know, this is that part of getting a customer and what you get out of them. They're so closely related. You need to have a lot of understanding data transparency into that post invoicing behavior. Yeah. Because the amount of firm resources, for instance, let's say you have a client that seems, they seem great. They're a nice person. You like them. The work is interesting. It seems like it, it all is working out, right? And then it gets time to, to get paid. And it turns out like, yeah, if we look at billables, we bill this customer, you know, an LTV of CAC if they pay us 10 to 1. 
This is a great customer. But then when you look at the amount that you're actually getting paid by them, (laughs) oh, this is only actually like a five to one, not such as good of a customer. And then when we look at the amount of internal firm resources, right? Is this a customer we're always chasing? Like how many times are we following up with them to get this done? How much of my internal firm resources are going to getting this like so-called great customer? Shoot, turns out this customer after we like look at really the weighted costs of what we have to do to actually get the money in the bank, I've only got a three to one. I'm breaking even like this is important to understand because then when it's time to take your marketing dollars and say, okay, time to get more clients. Where should we put this CAC? Where should we put this customer acquisition cost? You might say to yourself, like, actually, I don't want to go find more of that kind of client. I'm going to go find more of this other kind of client, different practice area, maybe different geography, whatever your firm is doing that separates your clients. It just totally depends on the data you're getting what you're spending and actually what you get into your bank account, not what you're billing. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is really interesting. So what you can, you know, once you get this sort of broad data, you could slice and dice it and like realize, oh, you know what, if we just go for more customers on the north side of town and fewer ones on the south side of town, our LTV to CAC ratio will go up. Or if we spend more marketing dollars um, in... I don't know. Yeah, like, IP, this practice area, customer, yeah. yeah, better than, you know, a gen lit customer, like whatever it is, you might think like, oh yeah, our firm's bread and butter is that we only do products liability or whatever it is. And then as you dig in, it's like, huh, when I look at this, you know, the smaller part of our practice is elder law or trust or, you know, whatever it is, but that's actually where we have a CAC, you know, our LTV is higher and our CAC's lower. We've got a 10 to one. Yeah. on our, our yeah. estate and trust business. And we haven't even really dug in to that. And then we're really putting all of our eggs into this product liability side of our practice. And we got a three to one LTV to CAC. Like, why are we spinning our wheels going to find more of these customers when like they might not actually be the best customer for our business, yet we're you know potentially neglecting or certainly neglecting a market opportunity to find more of these worthwhile customers without that data. Like there's no way to know that. You're going off instinct which is kind of what we started the show with. Yeah, and that just can lead to such, that's really powerful to really understand how that segments. So let me ask you then, what other like smart decision-making can be driven by really having a good understanding of this ratio? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, obviously it's going to relate to how you are using firm marketing dollars, right? Mm-hmm. That That's like an, an easy one to, to understand. I think the next part is really how you're going to be allocating firm resources while you're doing the casework. You know, again, looking at your firm and you know your firm best. Is this the kind of client given, right, what we're spending, you know, not only what we're billing, but what we're collecting? There's a difference. Like at Headnote, we have, you know, many firms that we talk to that say, oh, well, you know, billings are up. Like we, you know, this was our best year for billings. And then we say, well, how's your collection? <laughs> they're, yeah. they're down. Like, well, that's an issue. It doesn't, you're not going to get any awards for like billing the most hours if the client doesn't pay. Like, no, you know, that's that's not going to pay the the rent and, right. and keep the lights on and you can't pay associates with billable hours. They need they need money. So that is something that I think you, you can really make better decisions about how you're going to be allocating firm resources. Is this a kind of casework or customer or whatever it is that we actually can start with their permission, of course, and informed consent, having more paralegal hours be doing some of, of this work if it's something that we're doing. You know, is this an associate task or a paralegal task? 
if you actually know that, you know, this is something that I could use associate dollars, I could build this associate onto this practice area or this case where like we get paid 98% of the time instead of this practice area, we're only collecting, you know, 78% of what we bill. Then you're going to know I need to actually be allocating different resources in my firm, right? Because your team is the best resource that you have to different kinds of cases. Where are we putting partner hours and billable rates versus associate rates versus paralegal rates versus non-billable staff? So I think it's really going to help you decide how to kind of slice and dice, right? The effort on your team and your resources. And then on that back-end process, so like I think of it in three parts, right? Get the client, work with the client, you know, get paid by the client and retain them. When it comes to that, that backend part of, okay, we need to be allocating from resources to, to getting paid. Those are generally, hopefully non-billable resources, but I'll be honest, most of the firms that we talk to are using, you know, associate and attorney hours to do some of the collections and tracking. So are you using, you know, how much of your firm time that could be going towards billing a client are we using to chase clients down for payment or to remind them? Are there ways we can make that more efficient? Are there ways that we know we can work with clients, right? Getting paid in advance by certain practice areas. What can we do to actually reduce the billable staff and non-billable time that we're using kind of post-invoicing to get paid. And then how are we allocating any budget or or firm effort into, you know, retaining those customers and to making sure they're happy and they're going to come back. So uh, like, do I want this customer? Right. First of all, do I want them? And then, then, yeah, because that's a whole other marketing effort is the, is that that retention marketing. It almost sounds like, you know, if you, if you think about it, that, that there's another ratio here that would be really interesting to develop, which would be the lifetime profitability of a customer versus their CAC and LTP to CAC ratio mm-hmm. to really understand those segments even that's better. That's really true. You could even, again, for, for legal specific, right? Is there something that's like lifetime billable value versus lifetime collected value? Um, and then you can <laughs> yeah. actually see like, wow, we, you know, we are really only collecting on, you know, less than 70% of what we bill. And why is that? Well, they always ask for discounts. They always ask, you know, for a payment plan or, or reduced payment, whatever it is that they, they take so long to pay that then we offer a discount to collect whatever we can. Like, what is the reason that we're not kind of getting the most bang for our buck out of this customer? Is it something we can remedy or is it something that we know we actually need to find a better customer? Yeah. So we're talking here with Sarah Schaff. She's the CEO of Headnote. And we've been talking about what law firms can learn from Silicon Valley. And so far, we've been uh, talking about using the lifetime value of a client against the client acquisition cost to understand basically the efficiency of our marketing and sales in how it delivers revenue and then profit dollars to the business. We're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, just fair warning, I think we're done with the heavy math. So uh, for those of you who are just like dying with the math, we're going to move on to some other ideas. We'll probably talk about a little bit of math, um, but we'll try not to use the word ratio anymore. Um, We'll come back and talk a little bit more about other lessons that law firms can learn from tech companies. But first, a word from our sponsors. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One is available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. 
Give them a call at 1-800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer1.com slash podcast. Feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high-value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. And we are back with Sarah Schaff, the CEO of Head & Note. We've been learning a few lessons about what law firms can learn from Silicon Valley. And uh, we've spent a bit of time here on uh, understanding basically the efficiency and effectiveness of marketing and sales and delivering dollars to revenue and profits in the law firm. And I promised we'd come back with less math. I did. I promised no math, but I'm, uh, there might be a little bit, um, but uh, definitely less math. So let's start here, Sarah, if you don't mind. One of the things that I think people know, you know, the magazines that are about Silicon Valley are called fast company and uh, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, you know, one of the one of the things that Silicon Valley really prides itself on and, you know, the tech companies there, there and, you know, other places around the country too, is uh, speed and efficiency, just driving, driving, driving efficiency into the business. What lessons from that aspect of the tech businesses can be applied to law firms? Yeah, this one's like a super important one that is something that we can take as, as lawyers, right? This doesn't necessarily mean the way that you're, you know, you need to be providing high quality casework, right? So like, don't rush the work that you're doing yeah. for the clients, obviously, but it's more related to like ways that you can just really efficiently speed up internal processes kind of at the core, right? Make right. it part of your infrastructure. And so, you know, the best, and, and really, Christopher, it it's relates to your customer service, right? Like sure. if you are providing the fastest kind of, of operations that, that benefit your client, they notice that. The number one way that I like to think about this and why it's so important to law firms is something that we at Headnote, when I do any speaking engagements, call client amnesia. And this is... Okay something that probably a lot of us relate to as lawyers, but maybe also as clients, because I am both. And as a client, I have worked with law firms that I will get in touch with them to say, something came up, we need work, can you squeeze it in? And they say yes, and they prioritize, and they do whatever it is we need done, problem solved, I feel satisfied, I got value, you know, and I go back to my normal life as a client. And then like 60 days later, I get the bill. And like, <laughs> as soon as I get that bill, my brain goes into defensive mode. What is this? Why is it what so much? What the heck? Well, I'm getting screwed. Like, what yeah. are these guys doing? Why? And now I'm going through your invoice with a fine tooth comb. Wait a second. Why is this an attorney task? This seems paralegal task to me. And why did they spend 2.3 hours on this? I mean, I went from 60 days prior, this feeling of like pride and partnership and value and satisfaction to feeling like I'm getting duped. Like, and I'm immediately skeptical. And my brain's initial reaction is I'm going to ask for a discount. Like, yeah. this what, is a, what a huge loss for the firm to have exactly. you go through that. A huge loss for the firm in dollars, right? Because they're yeah. probably going to give me a discount. Again, handshake business, right? We client asks, we usually do it. But also it eroded my, my client satisfaction. Right. I went from being a happy customer to now somebody who's like feeling like, you know, I got, you know, I got a little screwed in this deal. It, now, let's like pause that, right? 
imagine if I were to get that invoice within days of when I literally interrupted my lawyer's day to say, put down whatever you're doing, I need help on this project. I would have paid it quick and I would have prioritized it because at that moment I'm feeling like, wow, those guys really made me feel like a good client. They prioritized me and they did a great job. Like, of course I will pay this bill happily. And that's on us as an industry, right? And I get, because I've done it, right? There's all kinds of lead billing. There's, um, you know, we do everything with the fine tooth comb. We then send it into, you know, a pre-bill process. I'm not saying that that's something that your firm should cut out, right? You need to do what's best for your firm, but there must be a way that you could, you you know, try to cut that time in half. Can we start doing weekly pre-bills, right? Instead of monthly or whatever the cycle is. And can we, you know, figure out a way through the use of, of software or, or internal, you know, better processes to get the invoice in the client's hand faster and then make it as easy as possible for them to actually submit payment. Like your client doesn't want to pay with a check. You don't want to pay with a check. You don't want to be stuck behind somebody at a grocery store who pulls out a checkbook. So this is all the things that we're doing that slow down our, our operations that we could learn from tech companies be faster or from restaurants. I mean, seriously, like the bill comes with, <laughs> when there's still wine on the table. Imagine like, right. taking some clients out, you, you know, you, after the first bottle, you wouldn't sprung for that $200 bottle of wine. Then you get the bill a week later. Right. And you're <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to pay this. Yeah. No, this wasn't that good. And, and, and then, you know, so to your point, it would be, you know, it definitely lead to higher client satisfaction. Probably, I used to have a saying uh, with folks that, that clients tend to have the same urgency in paying my bill as yeah. I had in getting it to them. Exactly. Um, and, you know, you'd probably get bills paid faster, which means better cash flow for the firm. And we could go into a whole show about yeah. uh, speed of payment and how powerful a metric that is for a business. Yeah, it is. And I'll tell you, like, well, as you, I mean, as, as most of us know, like, easier payment, you know, if you make it easier and faster to pay, you collect more. That That is just like... There is so much data on this at this point, but you know the fact is that that is completely related to that client satisfaction. Like clients know whether you make it easy or hard for them to do anything, right? You want somebody to be answering the phone as soon as they call because no client wants to get a firm, you know, group voicemail. Yeah. Like you also don't want to have to make your client do anything archaic on the back end. You want to give them that like high touch customer service. And so that is something that I think we overlook as an industry, right? We are so concerned with process and details, you know, up until the point that that invoice is created, like the billing, the casework, the documentation, and then it like goes off a cliff and it's in a black yeah. hole. Yeah. And we have no data or, or insight or transparency into like, how long did it really take to get this to them? How long did it take them to pay? Did they receive it? Did they open it? Would it help to give them, you know, a payment plan? Like, what is the reason that we're not actually getting paid on this? And instead, it is this handshake business, right? Like, if you set that priority of saying, thank you, you know, for the for the work, here is, you know, within a couple of days or a week, here is your invoice. This has net 30 terms for net 15 and we appreciate your payment, please click here to do so. That sets that expectation of like, this is a business, like any other business, we shouldn't feel guilty about it, right? Like, can you imagine if you went to the doctor, right? Another highly educated service provider and specialized and said, um, and they said like, oh yeah, just pay us whenever. Like just, we'll just send you a bill in like a month or two and like just pay what you can when you can. Which not for nothing, they used to. 
right? And they've gotten smart faster. Yeah, right. And, and lawyers are catching up. I mean, and, you and can't get out of that office. You can't even see the doctor until yeah. you pay your copay now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just think that's it's something in this handshake nature of legal. And I'm not saying that there aren't old school parts of our industry that should never go away. Like there are some really, you know, some of the pillars of our industry are things that we should respect, but there are parts that we can update and we should not feel guilty about running a business. And truly, it does actually give you more satisfied clients to set that expectation and to make it easier for them to interact with you. And that goes towards, you know, all of the ways that you get referrals and, and having them come back and, and tell friends or colleagues about your services. Right. And so now that we're talking about client satisfaction, I just want to mention briefly, because I know we're coming to the end of the show, but I wanted to touch base on two more items really quick. One of the measures of client satisfaction that I've heard you talk about is net promoter score or NPS mm-hmm. score. Can you just really briefly tell folks what what it's about? And then we'll give them at the end of the show, if they want to follow up with you on that, a way to yeah, do that. Absolutely. This is another area that I, again, from tech companies, right? Everyone's like, NPS, like what's a net promoter score? Every single person listening to this, with maybe a few exceptions, you actually participated in a yeah, promoter yeah. score and you didn't know it. It happens when you are shopping online or you are on a social media site or you're doing something online on your phone or computer and a little survey pops up that says, how likely are you to recommend the unbillable hour to a friend or whatever it is? And it says one through 10 and you say 10 or nine or whatever. That is that company they are judging their NPS score, which is how likely are you, a user of our product, likely to recommend our product or service to another person? That is a net promoter score. The fact that we as lawyers have really rarely heard of this concept until recently is funny to me because there's no other industry that relies on referrals as a source of business than us. I mean, that's how we get business. Yeah. So the fact that we don't actually know what this is and we don't have a name for it and we don't really have a way of measuring it as attorneys is ironic because it's maybe the one data point that if we knew, again, we know exactly where to put money into getting more of those clients and keeping them happy so that they can refer us to more new clients. Yeah. And it's a very forward looking metric. It really tells you about where your business is headed. During the um, previous section where we were talking about the uh, client amnesia, better cash flow and stuff, um, you, you again mentioned something that you've said a few times during the show, which is a handshake uh, business, that the law firms are, have become a handshake or have been previously a handshake business and how that's becoming outdated. So I was wondering if you could just talk briefly about like what do you mean by that and what aspects of that we should really keep and what, what we need to update. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, and this is like a loving, I, I use this as a loving term because again, like this is a business that I have been working in and growing up in, you know, as long as I can remember. And, and I, I have a lot of respect for lawyers in the legal industry, but I do know that especially in like this current generation of lawyers who are now becoming partners, becoming decision makers, they are used to a more formalized kind of doing business with all of the service providers they work with. Sure. Right. There are, you know, more uh, internal efficient operations. You get sent a bill, you're expected to pay all of these things as lawyers. We have had this attitude that, you know, we are there to service our clients as our number one duty. And the part of our relationship that involves us running a business has come secondary. And so if a, if a client, you know, whatever they need, we do it like with a handshake, 
you know, we will be there to support you, whatever it is that you need. That is what we're here to do and, and to protect you. All those things should remain. And I just think it's more of this mental shift in, we do have a business to run. It's not something that we should feel guilty about. Clients understand that they are engaging us for a particular service. So getting a more formalized process in place, right? The same way that we like relentlessly have clients sign a engagement letter and do a conflict check. Like that's a great part of our business. Like a lot of businesses don't do that. It's fantastic. We need to be doing those things kind of in different parts of our process without guilt, like asking clients to pay us in, you know, a, a certain term, whether it's net 15, net 30, net 60, you know, set your terms, let them know this is how we like to get paid. Here's what the schedule is. Here's what we expect from you. Just like, here's what you expect from us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just really got to be done. And I, I got to tell you, and I'm sure you run into this too. You know, you talk like that at a trade show, you talk like that in a speech and some folks are going to come up to you and tell you that that's, you know, that's not what this is. You know, we don't do that. But I think you're right. You know, everybody is expecting that from all their other service providers today. And, uh, and, you know, they're expecting law firms to become more like them in speed. They're expecting us to become more like them in uh, our ability to, you know, meet them technologically where they are. Uh, and, and so law firms, I think, do need to operate more like a business in order. Listen, the more we operate like a business, the more we can deliver top-notch services. Because if, exactly. we're, wait, if we're waiting on, on receivables, that mm -hmm. money comes out of service. It, it has yeah. to. And the more efficiently we can do it, which means we actually can give our clients better service, you know, at a fair price. And I don't want it to mean that I don't want anyone to think I mean that we need to be cold, like above all else, we're there to protect our clients and make their lives easier, right? That's what I always thought of lawyers, like a lawyer is somebody that when you call them with a problem, they help you feel like they are going to help you take care of it, right? Like that's the safety you should feel from your lawyer. This doesn't mean that if you set net 30 terms that you send them to, you know, a collection agent. No, Yet. like what it means, right? what it means is like, that is an internal trigger for you, right? You as a firm should have some kind of uniformity in your processes that you know, like, okay, this client, we have set expectations. This client is 30 days past due. This is now what we do. We reach out to them, whoever it is on your firm, you make that decision. What's the cadence? What's the messaging, right? Maybe it is a matter of like, we need to give them a payment plan. Maybe you know you're in a kind of business where this is a client that just had a, a hard judgment, right? It's going to be hard for them to pay these legal bills. It's not saying that we need to not be on the same side of the table as our client. It's just really a matter of framing expectations and then making our internal process and infrastructure mirror those so that we actually have things in place to track this data, collect it, measure it, analyze it. So I hope, you know, it's not to be any kind of offense to, to our industry. It's just a matter of kind of realigning our expectations so that we're in line with, with what other businesses are doing today. Great. Well, I'm going to challenge our listeners. If you guys, if our listeners, unavailable hour listeners, you want to hear more about accounts receivable and how it, A, the toxicities that you don't know about and B, how to improve that for your business, go ahead and send a uh, tweet to the unbillable hour um, or or hit us up on Facebook or send an email to Christopher um, at howtomanage.com. And we will, if you want it, we'll do it. And if you want Sarah to be the guest for that, let us know and we'll bring her back. Sarah, are you willing to come back and be the guest? Absolutely. Awesome. I'm so happy to do so. <laughs> Great. Listen, let's, uh, let's wrap this up for our folks by giving them three tangible ways, three tangible things that they can do ASAP to actually bring in and implement in their businesses and their law firm businesses as lessons from Silicon Valley. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think the first one is just to start having more, you know, understanding and respect for data and Mm -hmm. how we can be, you know, it's tracking, right? You got to track it, but then you also need to to analyze it. (laughs) That's the part that sometimes we don't do, and that can inform decisions. So just using our data and utilizing it and leveraging it. Yeah. So track Um, it, analyze it, and act on it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's easy to track it, but you got to keep going. Um, Uniformity and process, I think, is number two. So like, if first we're having more respect for our data, next is that we need to make sure that we are having, you know, uniformity across processes at our firm so that you have essentially a repeatable model. So you can understand how to have a client go from intake to payment to re-engagement over and over. So if there are parts of your process that seem like they have black holes or, you know, lack the uniformity that would make them more efficient, time to get that fixed. Great. Number three, Last one is just to be constantly looking at how you can streamline and improve. Like once we've got something in place, like this is something that we do at our company and that most tech companies do. It's you do retrospectives after a case or after a certain amount of time. Right. And we say what worked, what didn't work, what can we commit to changing? How can we make this better next time? So once you've got, you know, the data tracking and you're really respecting your data, you've looked at your processes and corrected anything that's not uniform or lacks process, then it's just a matter of keeping that mindful eye to like, let's make sure that we're checking in on this and figuring out ways that we can always meet striving to make it better. Very cool. Great, great. So data using and utilizing data, uh, <laughs> tracking, analyzing, measuring it and acting on it, um, making <laughs> sure you have a uniform process in place. Uh, all the way from marketing to payment, all the way through collections, um, and then uh, finding constant ways to improve by doing retrospectives and understanding what worked, what didn't work, and what can we actually commit to changing as a third thing. Sarah, thanks so much. This has been a great show. Thank you guys so much, Christopher. It's always fun to chat. I really appreciate it. You bet. And this wraps up our edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Business Advisory Podcast. Our guest today has been Sarah Schaff, and she's the CEO of Headnote. Sarah, before we go, can you uh, give folks ways to contact you, a website, Twitter address, or another way to reach out if they want to learn more about what we've been talking about? Absolutely. Anytime anyone has questions about what we've talked about, reach out or, you know, want to engage. I'd love that. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at headnote.com or go to headnote.com to learn more about us. And um, please reach out anytime. Thank you so much. And uh, folks, if you want to let us know uh, about that AR episode or anything else about the uh, Unbillable Hour, our information are on the show notes on the Legal Talk Network. This is Christopher Anderson, and I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build a law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network.
Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.